So last time that we were doing this, remember we had a, a little mini-series we're kind of doing called Lord of the Future. So we did a, a teaching on spiritual things. We talked about kind of how there's more and more going to be this wave, I think, and, and Pastor Tyler thinks, and many believers and guys that I've talked to really do think that we're going to see more of this kind of spiritual life coming back into our, our lives and not necessarily in a good way, right? It's something that we've had this very secular thing. Now we're going to see more people being interested in spiritual things and how that offers up opportunities for the gospel coming up. So I wanted to talk a little bit um, this, this week, we wanted to talk in Hebrews 3, we're going to talk a little bit about the church. The church in the future, what the Lord is planning for the church in the future, and also what the Lord has done with the church in the past. Um, we're going to get some good news about the church today, which I'm excited for, right? Even, you know, we've been going through Revelation, and Revelation is great because it's got encouragements and it has warnings, right, to the church. And, and we've been in some of the warnings recently where we're really searching our heart and saying, wow, have I, have I let my love grow cold and, and that kind of thing. What I, what I love about God's word is that it's so clear that God cares about the church and that he is the one who's the head of the church. That's all we're going to be talking about today. And that, has, that means good things for us in the church, right? It's very easy for us to get down on, and especially lately because we have access to all of the worst things everywhere. <laughs> it seems like it's very easy for us to get down about the church. But we've got good news today about the church in our town, about the church in America, about the church all throughout history and in the future. If you've ever been saddened and disappointed when you see like the divisions and the splits in the church, if you've ever heard somebody say, well, I don't understand why Christians don't just do fill in the blank and you just kind of chuckle, you know, a little bitterly and you say, yeah, that, like that'll ever happen. We can't ever, we can't do anything, right? Because we can't seem to get together about anything. If you've ever caught yourself raging over somebody over there and their weird doctrine or this strange heresy that's going on over there and you get so angry and upset and fearful about those things, then I'm very excited for, for what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to explore one of my favorite faith-strengthening lessons from the history of God's church. One of the things that's built up my faith the most in studying church history and the church today. And that thing is the failure and the fragmenting of God's people. It says it in the notes. I, I double-checked to make sure I said it right. It's, that is a thing that strengthens our faith when we understand it. How, how does the failure of the church strengthen our faith? Well, the fact that the church is still here, after more than 2,000 years, all of our human failures notwithstanding, is a clear demonstration of God's grace and His faithful leadership of His body. It reminds us whose church it is. And that really does strengthen our faith because we see all the time these failures and we wonder what to do with them. We can't have the joy and the hope that we're commanded to have all through Scripture, right? Regarding the future, regarding what God's going to do with His kingdom. We can't have that joy if we don't pay attention to what the Lord's doing, look at what He's done in the past, and realize that He's going to continue to do what He said He would do in the future. Right? If we get kind of divorced, in a sense, from our, our history, our heritage in the church, and we step back and say, oh, I don't know, it looks like we're not going to make it through this generation, it's really easy for us to get down. But if we look back and realize that this is something God has done in the past and He has promised He'll continue to do, it's very easy for us to obey God in having joy. And I use that word carefully. It's an obedience thing we need to do is have that joy. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. I wish we could just read the whole book of Hebrews and then I could close it and walk away. That would be a better uh, way to spend our time, but apparently we just have to take a small section, Tyler said. So, 
we're going to be in chapter 3, and I'm just going to read a, a couple verses at a time. We're going to go through verse 14 today, but we're going to start with the first two verses. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So the first, you know, instruction here in this chapter in Hebrews, it says, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, if you know something about the book of Hebrews, this is all that Hebrews is basically about. It, it, it looks at all the old things that God gave to the Jews, and then it compares and contrasts them to Jesus. And it, it wants you to focus on Jesus. It says, look, Jesus is the new and better this, right? It, all throughout the book. And so that's what it's, it's doing here. We're going to compare, in this little section, Jesus to Moses coming up. And, and he's going to show how Jesus is the, the better Moses, in a sense. Not that Jesus is identical to Moses, but that he's fulfilling the work that Moses began. And so he, he talks about Jesus as the apostle, which is an interesting word. Usually that's a word used of people, but here it's being used of Jesus, the apostle, the ambassador, and also the high priest of our confession. And it says Jesus was faithful to him who'd appointed him, God the Father, right? Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So the person we're supposed to consider when we're thinking about God's house, right? And that term God's house, it's, it's being used in this sense of both God's chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament, and also us. It's uniting those two things. We've talked a lot when we went through Romans that there's, there's you know, we need to be very careful how we handle that, right? There's not some dividing line where, oh yeah, that's how God worked before, but now it's totally different. We get saved in this different way. There's a lot of bad things people can teach about that. It's not true. There's this uniting between the work that God was doing in the Old Testament and now. And the thing that unites them is Jesus, right? So we're supposed to be considering him. He's the one who made us all siblings together in him. He's the one who made us heirs to, to a heavenly calling. We don't consider each other right, or our leaders or how things were back in the day or how things are these days. We're supposed to consider Jesus. That's the instruction. And this was a, a message to a church that was a little bit beat down and a little bit confused about how they were supposed to go forward, had these you know, struggles, remember, in the early church between, well, the Jews say it's going to be this way and the Gentiles are all about this, and how do we figure that out? So the encouragement is to realize that we're part of a faith that stretches back in an unbroken line past Abraham all the way back to Adam and Eve. Now, why can I say that? Well, all through Scripture, all the way back to the beginning, you see people looking either forward towards the work that God's going to do in Jesus or looking backwards and saying, this is the work that God did in Jesus and we're going to trust in that. And salvation has always been through that. Before Jesus, salvation was by faith. After Jesus, salvation was by faith, right? There's never been any difference. And this is really important to remember regarding church history, that we're not that our trust is in Jesus, not how we're doing at, at being the church right now. There's so much to criticize and to disagree with, you know, strongly. If you look back in church history, you can see, well, that was weird. We don't do it that way anymore. And I'm glad we don't do it that way anymore. That's fine. Those are good things. We learn and we hopefully we continue to grow in how we obey the Lord. That's all right. But we also don't have the luxury of imagining that we're in some, you know, unique period of getting it right that started, you know, pick your date, right? 
And we joke about this sometimes in Calvary Chapel. We say, hey guys, I, you know, the church didn't start with Chuck Smith. <laughs> I love Chuck Smith. He was an amazing you know, man of God. But guess what? Before he was here, God was working. God was working in other people. God was working in other places. God was working in Chuck before he started Calvary Chapel. All that's true, right? So in this passage, the writer of the Hebrews is linking the work Moses did, preparing the children of Israel for their Messiah, to the work Jesus did during his time on earth. He's saying they were both serving within God's house. Now, it's okay. He, in a minute, he's going to explain that Jesus is much different than Moses, right? But for a second, he's comparing their work, and he's saying they were serving in the same house. That's how they're similar. And they were both faithful in that service. So he's reminding us that this is the big kind of, if you look back all through the Bible, what is the work God's doing? He's bringing a people to himself, right? He's, he's, and whether that's his work with his chosen people, Israel, or his work with his church, God is preparing a remnant for himself. And we see that theme almost all through the Bible, that there's always a remnant. As bad as things get, there's always going to be a remnant, right? 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, whose excellencies does it say we're supposed to be proclaiming here? God's excellencies, right? Not the excellencies of us who are serving or the excellencies of our church or, or the church even, period. It's, it's God's excellencies. It's supposed to be pointing everybody to him. And if God could still have a remnant, and this is what we're going to see here in the next couple of verses, if God could still keep a remnant after Moses failed to enter the land, right? Remember, Jesus is being compared to Moses and saying they're both faithful, but, you know, Moses' story ended with him having a massive failure and not even getting to enter the land. And I think you would be forgiven if you were an Israelite in that generation to say, well, clearly we're done. Moses can't even go in. <laughs> and remember, all, a bunch of us all sinned, and now we're just the kids of all the people that weren't allowed to go in. We're not going to be able to do it. But God still was going to preserve his remnant because it was up to the Lord to glorify himself, right? Not up to the, how well the children of Israel succeeded which is good because they very rarely succeeded, right? It's up to the Lord that the church carries his kingdom and his gospel forward, not up to us, which is good because a lot of times we don't do a fantastic job because we're human and we fail and we sin, right? So now we're going to see, he's, he's, he's setting up this comparison between Moses and Jesus, but he's going to show us how now Jesus is even better of a high priest than Moses or any of the other high priests were and how he's the head of the house. In verse 3 it says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So Moses was a servant, right? Moses, God calls him, says, I want you to do this and that. And Moses had a unique relationship with God, right? I mean, speaks with God face to face, and that's pretty wonderful and crazy. But he's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is the builder. He is the author of the whole house, the entire structure. And this connection between Moses and the Messiah, Jesus, was clearly recognized by the early Jewish church because it's all in the scripture all over the place. If you look at Acts 3.22, it's quoting Moses saying, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. A little bit before that, that verse from uh, 1 Peter 2, this is 1 Peter 2, 5 through 6. It says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house 
for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So Moses was the leader, the spiritual head of the house of Israel. It's almost like his work is kind of prefiguring. You know, we see that in the Old Testament a lot where there'll be people we'll call like a type of Jesus. There's like a symbol that the Lord is using to point us towards what he's going to end up doing. And Moses is in doing that in that way. He's in a small way doing work like Jesus did. But Jesus is going to fulfill this, fulfill all the law and the prophets by inaugurating this new covenant in his blood. So now Jesus has kind of said, look, this is the work I was doing. Now I've completely fulfilled it. And now we're in this church age where I'm doing it in an in a even better way. And that's all through Hebrews. Look, before we had to bring these sacrifices, but now Jesus is our sacrifice. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's this constant kind of like comparison, right? And what's amazing about the church and this would have been, is true in a way also of the children of Israel and, and how God interacted with them, but I think Hebrews is making it really clear, even, even crazier about the church, is that the church is not a normal human organization, right? Every other, you know, you go into your business and somebody asks, well, who's in charge of this business? Well, I mean, here's the org chart. There's this guy, he reports to this guy, he reports to this guy, and here's the guy up at the top, right? And that guy's in charge, I suppose, to the, the board and there's the investors, but you can always kind of trace, like, here's a person where the buck stops it at his desk. That's not how the church is. And we're talking about like the capital C, right? The, the global church, right? There's no one person that's in charge of the global church. And, and even if you're in a big old denomination, you can get up to the head of that guy, but that guy's not gonna get to boss around the denomination next door, right? And, and we can look at that and be kind of sad in some ways. Oh, look, there's this division. Yeah, okay, there is, but this also means that it's impossible for any human being to single-handedly change the course of the church. Only God is able to manage this whole big, crazy, massive thing that he's put together through his Holy Spirit. One person, you know, you could have one crazy person who decides, well, now I'm in charge of this denomination. He starts taking them in a bad direction. Okay, how does that affect you and me? Doesn't really, you know? And even, let's, let's think even more closer to home. Some, some crazy thing could happen in Calvary Chapel. Is that gonna change how we walk with the Lord? No, that, that human isn't in charge of us, right? Why, because whose house is this? It's the Lord's house. Now, there can be problems and bad doctrine and issues and, I mean, look through history. There's all kinds of crazy things that have happened, but the Lord is the one who's in charge of the house and he doesn't allow any one human's failures to impact what his big plan is. There might be a problem in the moment, but it's not gonna change the long-term trajectory. This is a really, this is a little bit of a difficult quote, but it's worth us kind of chewing on for a minute. This is from a gentleman named Michael Kruger, and he's talking about how the Bible, the canon of scripture was put together. He says, the textual tradition of the New Testament, therefore, has a stubborn quality about it. Although a scribe can change an individual manuscript, changing the overall tradition is much more difficult than one might think. The fact that there are so many other copies in circulation makes this virtually impossible to do. Now, he's talking about how, how the Bible was copied, right? Where, you know, people tell you, oh, well, the Bible has so many mistakes. Yeah, but there were so many copies that you could literally write down a fake gospel and try and stick it in there. And there's hundreds and hundreds of other copies circulating. And everybody would say, this is not like all of these other ones. And it wouldn't get incorporated. The doctrine of the church is the same way. And we see this in the early church. All, going all the way back to the early church, they were worshiping Jesus 
They, they believed in the Trinity. They were honoring the scripture. They were, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. All those things are there. Nobody came along and said, you know what? I, I don't think we're going to do any of those things. Or if they did, the Lord immediately removed them and didn't allow them to overly affect what the church was doing. Because no one person is able to come and just push off kilter the work that God's doing in his church, in his house. Now, can it cause problems in one place? Yes, it can. And sometimes we have to have real serious things that go on to fix those. But it's, it's not like we have to sit here being worried. Well, what if one false teacher comes and there's no church anymore? That's well, just not going to happen. How do I know? Look at what has happened before. That's happened a lot of times. A false teacher has arisen. Bad things have happened. Has the Lord been able to maintain his house? Yes, he absolutely has. Why? Because he's the one who's the head, not any one individual person. Colossians 2, 18 through 19 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, what does that verse tell us about how the church works? He's saying, look, there's going to be plenty of people coming in disconnected from what God's doing, saying, you should do this, you should read this, you should think about this. But they're not connected to the head. So they're not going to make it. They're not going to live. They're not going to grow. They're not going to flourish. Why? Because they're not connected to, to Jesus Christ. They're not receiving from the Holy Spirit the, the right things that they need to you know, teach you from the Word. So they're not going to make it long term. Now, does that... The, there can be cults and weird things that I understand all that. But when you look at the broad history of Christianity, what has flourished, what has grown, what has been unstoppable is the gospel. And there's lots of little weird flashes in the pan have happened. Those are not the things that end up taking over the whole church. Praise the Lord, right? Why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. And that's where all the growth happens is abiding in him. And this should be encouraging to us when we see things that concern us is to remember that Jesus is the head of the house. He's the builder of all things. Now, verse 5 through 6, it says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boosting our hope. So again, he's saying Moses' ministry is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ the Messiah is going to do. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful as a son, right? And that's kind of reminds you of some other things that we read in the New Testament where it's talking about how, hey, we're adopted. So that means now we're like a part of everything. We actually get to come in and we have the inheritance and all these amazing things uh, that are true of us in Jesus. John 2, 14 through 15 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son, must the son of Man be lifted up so that Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now, when it says, we are in his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, this means all those prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, we now get to be a part of. And that's confirmed all through the New Testament. You look in Peter and these different places where it says, look, we have this whole inheritance now. We get to receive the Holy Spirit. We get to participate in, in God's family. We get to participate in the church. All these things are ours now. Why? Because we're so great and we do such a good job? No, because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, his grace, right? So we have this privilege now, just like Moses, of being house servants in God's house. 
Now, did Moses do such a fantastic job of that? No, a lot of times he messed that up. In fact, he messed it up so majorly that God said, you, you can't even anymore stand in front of the people and be an example of my character because you've misrepresented me. So it wasn't on Moses to do a good job. God had picked him and Moses was giving all these objections. Well, but I can't speak and I can't this. And God says, I'm aware of that. I, I want you to do this, right? So that teaches us it's a privilege that God is giving us to serve in this house that he's been building from the beginning. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we maintain, right? It's not something that we have to be constantly worried about, like, well, I don't know, what, what if our little corner of the house doesn't do good, and then what's going to happen? That's up to the Lord. Just as the Israelites, the keeping the covenant was up to the Lord, right? Remember, we've, we've been going through, in, in early on in the Old Testament, we've been going through the Pentateuch, and you read the whole covenant, and God says, look, when you mess this up, here's what I'm, I'm going to do. Yes, I'm going to discipline you, but also I'm not going to allow my name to be tarnished, I'm going to uphold the whole covenant, right? That was on the Lord, remember? It's in the same way with God's church. 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 10 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The hope we have in Christ through his work on the cross, through all human history, is proof that we're part of, of God's house. That is our hope. Remember, it says, hold fast to your confidence and our boasting in our hope. What is, is that fa boasting and confidence? Is that in us or in, in even how our church is doing? No, that boasting is in Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who set up the house. He's the one who built it. He's the author of it, it says. So he's going to be the one who's going to be the author and finisher of our hope. Remember? So since our boasting is in Jesus and not in some, you know, corner of the house or the servants who lead our room in the house, right? We're not boasting in those things. This section is actually pointing our attention away from those earthly builders of the house to the son who's at the head of the house, right? Because it's this whole thing, and you see this through Hebrews, it's trying to take their eyes off the earthly things. It's saying, yeah, guys, I remember we have these traditions that God gave us in the law, but look at Jesus. Check this out. Now we have this. Yes, yes, we had the sacrifices, but look at how Jesus fulfilled those. Yes, we had the temple. It was really cool. But look at how now Jesus is a better temple that we can come into at any time. He's constantly trying to pull their eyes away from the earthly towards the heavenly, towards Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that sometimes too. God's love for us that he chose us, he, God picked us individually to be part of this house, right? Which is a really amazing thing to just sit and think about sometimes. If you have some time this afternoon, think about the fact that, so God has set up this house, and just like he selected individually Moses to serve in this house, he selected you too. He said, I need you here. I want you to be in this house over here. They're going to need your help over, that's, and I want you for that. God didn't just pick you generally. He wasn't like, oh, I'll, I'll, they're all on a bargain sale, so I'll get all of them, right? He, he picked you specifically and said he wanted you to serve here at this time, right? So that's a reminder of God's love, that he chose us to be his sons and daughters, to participate in this plan. And since we're chosen individually, we participate without needing to fear either our failure or other people's failure. What do I mean by that? You're chosen to serve the Lord individually. And a lot of times we can, 
there's this real thing we can deal with where we see someone else fail in the church and we're like, well, what does that mean for me? Not really a lot, Christian. Like, it's really sad to see, and many of you maybe have had this experience, you see a, a loved pastor or a mentor or somebody that you walked with for a long time and they're gone now. And that's a, that's a struggle that you can have. But what does that mean between you and the Lord? Nothing. Jesus chose you. He didn't choose you because of the work of that pastor. Jesus used that pastor to bring you to him. And if that pastor walks away from the Lord, it doesn't imperil your standing with Jesus at all. Your relationship is between you and Jesus. There's nobody, you don't need a mediator anymore, right? Between you and Jesus. So that means that you and Jesus are, are good. That person's failure is tragic for them. And we, you know, we suffer over those things and we pray for them and all that. That's right. But you don't have to have this fear of like, well, what does that mean for me? He was, he looked like such a good believer. And yeah, it's a reminder that it's through grace. The Lord picked you and just, and look, you, you might've been sitting there saying, well, I didn't, I didn't really feel as strong as he did. Well, guess it's about grace then. Isn't that cool? You didn't, you didn't feel right. Like you were in a good spot and the Lord allowed you to be reminded, Hey, I've got you. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you look externally to people. I selected you specifically to serve here. That's what I want you to do. We serve and we suffer for Jesus because we love and trust and obey him. If we do that, you are a part of his body. Nobody gets to take that away from you. The church is not a hierarchy of earthly authority that gets to say, well, you can come in and you can stay out. We, we serve in that place as stewards of Jesus Christ. Remember, we've talked about this. We're the steward, right? So we're not here. It's not our decision, right? I'm only here reading this and saying, well, what has Jesus told me to say? It's not up to my whims. Like, ah, I don't like them, so they can't be here. It doesn't matter. It's not up to me, right? I also didn't get to say, I really like them, so I'm going to put up with things that Jesus said I shouldn't put up with. I also don't get to choose that. I'm, we are standing here together as servants of Jesus. If I am administering something in his house, whether it's how I greet at the front door or how I take the trash out in a way that Jesus isn't pleased with, he's going to let me know. Right? It's not up to like, well, yeah, I, I hear you, Jesus. I know that you said that this is how you wanted us to behave towards each other, but I have this better idea. I'm a servant. It's not my house. <laughs> I don't get to do that. And in the same way, we can take heart in that. Yeah, we can explain and we should acknowledge real false teaching and heresy and bad stuff that comes into the church, right? Why? Well, because it's the Lord's house. And part of it is we're here to protect each other and say, hey, that's, don't, that's not from the head, right? That's over there. Don't eat that. Don't just leave that alone, right? We can and should do that. That's important. But we are supposed to combat those things confidently and graciously with a smile, not afraid and angry because we're afraid that it's going to ruin the church, right? What do I mean when, when I say that? So if it's the Lord's house and I'm just here as a steward, do I really think that this new heresy is going to destroy the church? My answer to that question is going to change how I act when that comes around. And I, I'm just going to submit to you, we are not allowed to believe that the church is in danger like that. Because, right, we've been in Revelation. We got to Revelation, there's some letters to the church. What does that mean? I guess the church is still there. <laughs> By the time we get to Revelation, turns out there's a church somewhere that, there, that, that God is going to rapture and then he's going to use. So we make it. Good news, right? Guess what? We make it. That's cool. What that means is that while we may go through issues right now, while we may suffer, we, there might be parts of the church that just die off because they have failed. That could all happen. An entire generation of the children of Israel didn't make it into the land. 
That's pretty drastic, right? But guess what? That doesn't mean that the children of Israel didn't go into the land. Same thing happens for us in the church. If I'm going after all these things and I'm upset and I'm worried and I'm tense, that changes my heart in serving the Lord. And that's not good. We just got a dog at the house, which I don't know about you, but that changes the atmosphere, the environment of the home. So I have, you know, three little kids and now there's a dog. The kids have never lived in a house with a dog before. So, you know, I've had a dogs before, and you know there's a way that you act around a dog, right? You've got to kind of maintain this calmness so that the dog knows, hey, things are cool, that somebody else is in charge. That's how you're supposed to act around a dog. So I know that when the dog gets really amped up and gets excited, I can't just match that. I've got to be like, no, no you, you relax, and I don't need to be worried when he's excited because he's not like a wolf. He's not going to hurt anybody. He's just playing, right? My seven-year-old does not know this. So when, when the dog comes running into the room, she gets really amped up and really worried and really her voice gets all high-pitched and she kind of backs off. Now the dog thinks that this means it's playtime. So the dog responds to that by getting amped up and getting excited, right? And it just gets worse and worse. So I have to teach the kids, look, it's your house. You, you, it's, first of all, it's my house, so don't worry about the dog, right? I've got the dog. That I'm larger than the dog. If there's a problem, I'm going to win. It's not a big deal, right? But to them, the dog looks so big, so they're so worried. I said, look, it's okay. I'm in charge, so you walk into the room and just, if you don't like what he's doing, just ignore him. He'll settle down. Right? He's, he's going to learn that you're the one in charge by you just being confident, you not having this fear of what he's going to do, what he's going to do. It's the same thing the way that we approach some of these things in the church, Christian. We have this feeling like we've got to be the one that's constantly policing everything because we're really concerned about what's going to happen. Look, heresies don't win in the church long term. I'm like, this is one of my favorite things to do is read about church history. I can guarantee, like, they just don't make it. Why? Because it's not the gospel. It's, it's not alive. It's going to die. <laughs> the Lord loves you. He's going to protect it from making it long term in the church. Now, person to person in the way that we teach and stuff, it's important for us to know about these things. And we talk about that, right? Pastor Tyler is telling us all the time, hey, be aware of this, or this is not the right way. We, that's all good. That's fine. But what does Romans say? There's two different ways we can respond to this. What does Romans uh, 14, starting in verse 4, say? It says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Skipping down to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So this means Jesus is the one who's taken the responsibility of growing and guiding and defending his church. I would like to set us all free of our feeling of stress over manning our personal watch over the health of the global church or the American church or, or this town or even this church. It's going to be okay. You can take a break. Jesus has got that, right? Does it mean that there aren't concerning things going on? I did not say that. Absolutely there are. But Jesus is in charge of those things. I can call headquarters and say, hey, this looks like a mess. Could you sort that out, right? It's not my job to be concerned. Why? Because did you catch it? He says, whose servant is it? It's Jesus' servant. This is presuming that this is a believer who's just deceived or maybe teaching something that's not correct, right? We've got another answer for somebody else later on. But let's presume it's Jesus' servant. And I just, I wouldn't do it that way. Or I wouldn't say it that way. That's not right. Well, okay, it's Jesus' servant. He's not your servant. Don't, you don't need to be over there telling him, oh, you, you, know, you should do it like us. Well, he's not, he doesn't report to you. He reports to Jesus. 
right? So, and it says, I love it, Jesus is able to make him stand. Yeah, even the church that's a little weird that you don't like. Jesus is able to make them stand. As long as they're not forsaking the gospel and teaching, you know, actual false doctrine and heresy, Jesus is going to take care of them. Because he loves them just like he loves you, and he's going to make them stand. So that's encouraging. Here's a little encouragement from history. When was the last time you met an Arian heretic? What is an Arian heretic, right? Yeah, that's the point. Right Now, the Arian heresy basically almost eclipsed actual teaching about the Trinity in the early church. Well, not the early church, after that, just barely after the early church. This heresy by this guy named Arius comes up that says, no, no, Jesus isn't God. Jesus is a created being who's super excellent like God. Became very, very popular, especially with all these like tribes that wanted Jesus to be like their Superman, like war hero guy that Aryan Jesus was very much more like that, and they loved that. So it became very, very popular. There was a time when the Aryan heresy was so pervasive that right doctrine about the Trinity basically was almost gone. It was mostly just Aryan heretics everywhere in the church. But you've not met one recently, I don't think, right? Me neither. Why? Because no one remembers what it is. It wasn't the gospel, it wasn't the power of God for the salvation of souls, so it got burnt up and it blew away. Jesus did not allow that to succeed in the church. Does anybody remember the emergent church? No? Yeah, well, it was a big deal when I was a kid. Like, very recently, this, was, this is going to destroy the church. This is it. If we, don't, if we don't go out there and fight this and stop this, you don't remember any of those guys' names because they're gone. God uprooted them, removed them from his church, and said, no, I don't think you get to do that here. And we're still trucking on because we're so great and we know the right doctrine. No, because Jesus protected us. Jesus said, I don't like this. This is not good. And he removed it. He's going to continue doing that with whatever it is that's on the horizon that we're concerned about now. And this, you know, now you say, okay, yeah, yeah. But that's what you do with other believers, right? But what about this guy's not a believer? He's a, he's a real wolf. He's a real false teacher. Okay, that's, that's possible. There, those are out there, right? Psalm 37, 10 through 11 says, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. He will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I like that. That seems cool. I would like to inherit the land and delight myself in abundant peace, right? Sounds like I don't need to stress. The, the wicked are just going to be gone. Haven't you seen that happen in your life, right? How many people have you, oh, this, this, is, this guy is just, nobody even gets what he's doing, but I get it. And, he's, and then all of a sudden you, yeah, remember that guy? He's gone. <laughs> he's not there anymore. The Lord took care of him. Whether this is a servant who's messing up, or an actual genuine wolf, it's the Lord's house, it's the Lord's church. And we can remember that, hey, his church is still there in the back of the book, I guess it's not gonna perish in this generation. We gotta make it there, it looks like. So we're somehow in between, the Lord is gonna lead us to where he wants us to be. Now verse seven, it says, therefore, now this was the encouraging part before, now the therefore, because of all these things, because of what? Because Jesus is the head of the church, because it's his grace that is continuing to, to knit us together, and because he's the one who's in charge of all that. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, that's less encouraging, <laughs> right? 
It's kind of like what we've been in, in Revelation. It's like these encouraging things. Oh, you're doing good. You're, you're holding fast. You're enduring. But you've left your first love. And you're like, well, that's a bummer, right? But these, these two things are important. This warning is super important because of what it's warning us against and what it's telling us to do. The call of God should be comforting to us, right? God's individually picked us. He's put us in his church among his family. That's really encouraging. But there's also a warning that comes along with that call. There's responsibilities that come along with it. As part of God's plan, the Israelites spent decades just kind of wandering around. And there's, remember, passages where it says, look, I made sure your sandals didn't wear out. Like, I gave you angel food. I took care of the little details, right? God had them, and they saw all that. They saw the mountain. They saw the miraculous food. They, all these things that they saw. And their history was still littered with all these rebellions and stubbornness and hard-headedness. And, well, yeah, we've got manna, but what about, you know, meat, right? And all, all these complaints that they had, they, they, they were constantly, God says, you know, prostituting themselves after other gods, doing all these horrible things. They still failed. They were still in rebellion. Now, what, what are we supposed to learn from that? Because there is, we need to learn from it, right? We can't just look at that. And we've talked about this before. We don't get to, as the church, look back at other people, especially God's chosen people, the children of Israel, and say, well, it looks like God's done with you. Isn't it cool? We're so much better than you. Here we are. No, no. God says, this is included for your instruction. And also, by the way, I'm going to redeem them. Just because it doesn't look like I've done it yet, it doesn't mean I'm not going to. I'm not done with them, right? That's very clear. So what are we supposed to learn from that? Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. God is near to each believer who calls on him. He was near to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and all the prophets and all the apostles and all the great theologians and evangelists and apologists that we're all like, oh, I wish we had some of those now, right? Well, that's this God who's your God. He's just as near to you as he was to any of those people. And actually, right, for if you look at Moses and David, like God has made himself more available to you than he was to them. Back with Moses and David, when, when somebody had the Holy Spirit on them, it was a unique deal. It was like, that guy has the Holy Spirit. These people do not have the Holy Spirit within them, but this guy does. Now it's just normal. Now it's, it's so normal that sometimes we get bored of it and we say, ah, do I really need that? Or maybe I can just do it on my own. That's, that's how normal this experience with the Lord is, that we can kind of take it for granted. That's how close the Lord is to us now. Just as close as that person that, you know, well, he's dead now, and what, what is the church going to do without him? I don't know. The Lord's just as close to you. What does the Lord want to do with you? I don't, I don't know. He's, not, he's with the Lord now, so it's not up to him. It's up, it's up to us. The Lord is just as available and accessible to us as he was to these people. But too often... Just like the Israelites or the early church or any other believer ever throughout history. We choose our own will. And it's hard for us sometimes to surrender our lives fully to the Lord's control. We need to look at the Lord's work in the past and we need to constantly be reminding ourselves, hey, this thing that I'm experiencing in God's church is so unique that I can experience God's grace in his church. That's so different from anything else that to walk away from that would be completely insane. And I'm not saying that harshly. I'm saying that as a reminder to each of us. Like, that's the temptation, apparently, because he has to keep reminding us, hey, don't harden your heart and walk away. And to you right now, that might seem crazy. Why would I do that? Good. I hope that's what you're feeling. But that's a choice that a lot of people make, is they see all those things and they say, I just don't think it's worth it. And a lot of times that comes from 
the failure of the church. We see, well, the church is messed up. This, this happened to me. This is going on. This must not be what the Lord's doing. This, is, this place has failed. I'm, I'm, I'm out. But the failure of the church is not evidence of God's failure. It's actually completely the opposite. How am I able to say that? That sounds like a cop-out. It's not, though. The failures of the church should have killed the church a long time ago. You look at like institutions through history, right? They, don't, they can't last that long. Because at some point, like you've got your Roman Empire, right? It's great. People put a lot of energy into it. Then at some point, lesser people kind of take the reins and they don't do as good a job. And then it gets weird and decadent. And then everybody just kind of forgets about it. And it's not, you know, the Roman Empire. We don't care about that anymore. That's what happens to big institutions that span the whole globe in, in the human, at the human level. That has not happened to the church. We have no central leader. We keep messing up. We can't agree on important things. Why are we still here? You ever think about that? Like, what, why is the church still here? It's, to me, this is one of the most important proofs of the fact that the church is a supernatural thing that the Lord is doing, is that it's not gone. It really should be gone. But Jesus is the head of the church. So it's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter if, look... This church is not your hope where you're placing your faith, right? Because I could fall. Pastor Tyler could fall. Somebody could hurt your feelings here. Some horrible thing could happen. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. He's still the head of the church. And that's important for us to keep in our hearts. Even Israel's terrible failures, really bad failures. I've been reading Jeremiah lately for my devotions. Bad failures. They couldn't stop the fact that God was, had chosen them as his people. And he said, look... I promise by myself, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go get you, right? You read the book of Isaiah, Hosea. He's like, well, you can do what you want. I'm still coming for you. <laughs> I'm still going to buy you. And at some point, you're, you're going to live in my house. You're going to be mine. That's what the Lord has said for his church. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11 says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else built on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If your heart is kind of soft to this at this moment, if you're feeling conviction maybe for, like, yeah, I have like kind of not thought about this in the right way, that's good. That's the Lord, right? Don't be encouraged by that. Don't be discouraged. Thank the Lord for that because that's the Lord's work, not your work, right? You're not still here walking with God after all these years because you're great. It's because the Lord's taking care of you. And you can be thankful, right? Man, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I look back and say, I'm glad I, met, I got out of that one. I didn't even know that was going on at the time. And then I look back and said, that actually was a test of faith. I didn't know that at the time, right? That happens so much. You see people that you lose, right? And you say, that's all it took? I, I've been through that. I didn't know that was that risky, right? But that's all it took for them to walk away for Jesus? Like that happens for, to us a lot. Here's the thing. We're commanded to enjoy all of these blessings. When it says, of course, we're about to see it, he's going to say, hey, enter into God's rest. Your father's put me to the test. Don't do that. Don't be provoked. 
we're commanded to enjoy God's blessings, which he's offering to us in the church, in, through relationship with him, through the Holy Spirit, right now. We don't have the option to delay that and say, no, 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 I'm gonna, when things settle down or when we, when we get those people out of here or when we fix this or we elect a new president or whatever, then I'll settle down and I'll enjoy God's blessings and his rest in, you know, in his church. That's not an option. God purchased these things for us at great cost, right? at the cost of his own son. We have to take advantage of those things. And if we don't take advantage of God's grace, the, the, the risk is that we start to think poorly of his church because we're not actually experiencing everything that he wanted us to experience. We will walk away saying, oh, I tried that. And what do we always say around here? No, you didn't. You might have tried church, but you didn't try Jesus. Trust me, if you tried Jesus, right? Like, let me, let me introduce you in Jesus today. Like this, because why? Because we know that once you have tried Jesus, there's no walking away from that. But there, you can walk away from the church pretty easy, right? There's failures and there's problems and there's lots of days where you're like, ah, oh, this is hard. But Jesus is not like that, right? We need to enter into his rest and not be entering into the rest of like, well, I like it here. And so as long as I keep liking it here, that's good. That's not good enough rest for you. Trust me. Last section here, verses 12 through 14. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I said, Sometimes when we see that, the, the truth, what, my pastor's a person? Sometimes he gets upset. Sometimes he makes bad decisions. What do you mean? I'm out. <laughs> That's the temptation that we have. But our pastor back in, in, in Lynchburg, Pastor Troy, he always used to say, when did Jesus hurt you though? Right? And that's not a flip question. I don't mean that because I know, hey, you may, you may have been really hurt, right? Like, no, for real, this person ruined me. This, this awful thing happened. I get that. But did Jesus do that to you? Is Jesus the one who betrayed you? Is Jesus the one who walked away from you? No. So don't walk away from Jesus, right? Look, you might have to walk away from that person. That's fair. Sometimes two of God's kids can go to different churches. That is all right, right? We've got a whole reformation because that happened, right? We were like, nope, we've got to be somewhere else. That's okay. God's the Lord of that. But you don't need to walk away from Jesus, right? Because what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't, hasn't hurt you. Jesus hasn't, hasn't withheld something from you. Jesus didn't you know, deceive you, and it, would, it turns out the deal was different than he promised you. None of those things happened. But it's our, our temptation from Satan, this says. Right? It says, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Our temptation is to see that because we have placed our confidence in something that didn't deserve to hold our confidence, when that gets disappointed, we get really, really disappointed. I was so confident in that guy or in that teacher or in this place, and then it got disappointed and I'm, I'm leaving. Well, don't, I, I, you know, I understand that, but don't place your confidence there. Put your confidence in Jesus, right? He's not going to let you down, I promise. And then sometimes people are going to let you down. Look, if you stay around here at this church, let's get really real for a minute. If you stay around here, I promise you, one or another of us is going to hurt your feelings. It's probably already happened, let's be honest, right? At some point, you're going to get your feelings stepped on or something's going to happen or there's going to be some tension. That is going to happen. How do I know? Because there's a lot of people in here. So we're going to sin against you. Bad things are going to happen. I, that's going to happen. The only way we're going to be able to continue loving and serving one another is by remembering that we are all serving Jesus. 
right? We're serving, it's not my house, right? Serving in Jesus' house. Jesus loved me to death and back on the other side. I think I can hang in there, right? If you disappoint me or you hurt my feelings, all right, we'll deal with it. It's going to be okay. I can have grace for you. Why? Because I'm so nice and forgiving. No, because Jesus had grace for you. So what am I doing? <laughs> think I'm going to withhold that from you? I don't have that, right? It's not my house. It's, you, you get to participate just like I do. I don't get to decide, well, yes, Lord, but they hurt my feelings, like, you think Jesus hasn't experienced that before from us a lot? <laughs> he says, yes, I understand. Like, I, I was willing to deal with that. You can also be willing to deal with that. Don't rely on the strength of human love to do that. Right? Has to be the power of the Holy Spirit. If you try and grin and grit your teeth and I'm going to love this person, good luck, man. Come on. Like, it has to be the Holy Spirit to do that. Because people are going to hurt your feelings. The intensity of this warning, right, is this, this is a pretty intense warning. Right? I know people, I love, I love people, and I've dealt with this before. If you've ever struggled with assurance of salvation, you have some passages that you just skip through really fast because they, they bother you, right? This stuff in Hebrews is crazy. There's, there's, I think, in Hebrews 4 or possibly 5, where it talks about, look, if you walk away from Jesus, like, don't come back. Like, you can't come back once you've walked away. And you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? What is he saying you're walking away from, though? He's talking about, this, this really changed me when I understood this. He's talking about the grace of Jesus. And he was warning them, the warning matches the tragedy of willingly leaving the free gift of Jesus' grace behind and going back. For them, it was they were going back to the law. Okay, I had Jesus' grace, that's nice, but I would really like to still serve the old law. And he said, you can't do that. Like, you cannot have Jesus' grace and then try and keep a hand on the law to justify you. right? And we also, we can't have tasted Jesus' grace and then go back to legalism or, or well, I, I, I really liked it. If I, I'm good. I'm serving Jesus. As long as it looks externally like I'm doing a good job, then I'm, I'm good with that. We can't do that. Do you remember, a lot of you probably can have a place. I have a place in my mind. Do you remember where you were when you first realized that God knew exactly who you were and he died for you anyway? I have a physical place, like parking lot, Barnes & Noble College, Lynchburg, Virginia, just got done with work, right? Where you, you realize, and you mentally probably knew this from when you were a little kid, right? You could have said the right thing, but there's that moment where you get God's grace in like a unique way. Do you remember realizing that his grace was sufficient, not just like for your weaknesses now, but all the stuff that you had done and all the stuff that you were going to do, that God's grace was still good for that, right? Because I, I remember that feeling where I, I understood the Lord's grace for the first time, probably. I know the exact place on the planet where I was just sitting there and saying, I'm actually God's kid. Wow, right? Now, you taste that. Where else are you going to go? Who else has that? Like, okay, like I said, I know that you might have been disappointed or hurt or like your life might have been changed by people in God's house. But this is where the God's grace is. Where are you, you going to go? Well, I have these friends over here and they accept me and like, oh, come on, man. Like, don't make me laugh. Like, for now. But people in here hurt you. You think people out there aren't going to hurt you? You think people out there aren't going to betray you? You think, you think that once they figure out who you really are, they're also not going to get really weirded out, right? No, they're, they're people like the people in here. The only difference is that Jesus is in here. And he's not out there. And that is the thing that changes it for, for so many people. And unfortunately, 
There's a lot of us, we get tempted to walk away because we may not have actually tasted that grace before. Right? There's some people who have walked away from the church and they haven't left the building. But in their heart, they've distanced themselves. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm here because it's good and my kids need to be here. But, right? And there's some people who have walked away from the church thinking they're walking away from Jesus and they haven't even met Jesus yet. Because you can, we can do all the other stuff. Right? We, can, we can come and, and set up and tear down and do all the stuff, but if we haven't actually interacted with Jesus, if we haven't actually tasted his grace, then we're not, we haven't experienced the thing that is kind of the whole point of the house. Right? And that's, that is going to make it a lot easier for us to walk away. And that, I think, is the, the reminder, the encouragement that he has is, look, you just need to make sure that you remember that Jesus is the author and builder of the house. Moses was just here. All the rest of us are just here, but Jesus is the one that you need to come. You want to come to the house? You should come meet Jesus. That's who you should meet, right? Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So just, you know, you flip over in a couple of verses, the book of Hebrews gets to this reminder that, yeah, Jesus is our high priest. He's the reason why we can have confidence. He's the reason why, look, I've, I have been born, raised, and lived in the church my entire life. I've, I, I also have gone through some stuff in the church, Right? But the reason I'm still here is not because I'm just so hopeful and I, you know, I, it's because of Jesus. I'm still here because of Jesus. You're all cool. Jesus is awesome. I'm here because of Jesus, right? And that's the reason why we all need to be keep coming back because we're drawing near to the throne of grace. The church is still going to be here if Jesus decides that he's going to wait for two more millennia to come back. We're not going anywhere. I'm not going to be here. This church might not be here, but Jesus is going to have a remnant of people. I guarantee it. But the cool thing is, I don't think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, <laughs> just my guess, that we're kind of in that like last minute of play kind of situation. Seems like that to me. I could be wrong. It's not going to scare me if that's not true. But it seems like we're in that last minute of play. The score is like infinite to none, right? <laughs> Jesus is winning. He usually wins. And he's playing all the positions. And I'm like on the equipment team. Right? I get to come and here, yeah, here's a spare ball and here's also some water and let me take that mouth guard and here's a new one. I get to do that. That's pretty cool, right? Because I, I, that's, that's a place that I just get to have. Now imagine if we're sitting on the bench like, yeah, but Jesus, they brought like all their good substitutes in. I think we're cooked. Why, why are we like that? Right? Yeah, Jesus, but you don't understand. This time, they've got a really, really new strategy that I don't think we have anything. He's the one on the field, man. He's got it, right? This is his house, right? He's the one who's going to protect it. He's the one who's going to make sure that he doesn't, you know, it's, it's his reputation that's on the line, not mine. He's got it. So I just get to sit here and watch that happen. Right? I get to enjoy being part of the team, even though I'm not skilled enough to be on the team. I don't really belong there, right? But I still get to enjoy and have all the, all the same excitement just watching him win. That's some good news. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to quit the team because one of the other equipment managers didn't like treat me right. That doesn't seem like a good deal. <laughs> Don't you understand? If I hang out for 60 more seconds, I also get a championship ring. 
that's pretty cool, right? All I got to do is not leave the team. That's what you're telling me is I just get to be here. And if I don't quit, sitting here on the bench, doing all the things that he's asking me to do, I get to also participate in that. That's a pretty good deal, right? And once, once we taste that, we just get to kind of go out there, do our part, come back and say, hey, this is, this is kind of fun, right? I'm strutting out there now, like doing my little thing, right? It's like when you give your kids a task, like this is the thing that you gave them because you knew they could get it and you're still going to have to clean up after them. That's what Jesus is doing for me sometimes, you know, but I get to do it. That's really cool. And I can have the joy in that and I don't have to worry that somehow my failure or somebody else's failure is going to mess that up for Jesus, right? He's sworn by himself that this is the way he's going to accomplish his plan for the entire universe is through his church. Jesus has taken a lot on it. I don't think he's going to let it fail.